0: the founder of Broadstairs Consulting. We are a board advisory and mediation practice helping people thrive and flourish in crisis situations. Believing crisis isn't an if, it's a when. We want to help people disagree well and move forwards in challenging times. While we are unafraid of crisis, it's rare for one to be resolved in a single day. However long the day or night that gave rise to the crisis in the first place, there's always something we can learn. That's the genesis of The Longest Day. Our guests have overcome a litany of crises. Many have worked with us in some capacity in the past. All of them have stories worth hearing. We trust them to make this worth your while. We hope it helps you trust us. This week's podcast guest hardly needs an introduction... The Right Honourable Sir Vince Cable was Secretary of State for Business, Innovation and Skills, and President of the Board of Trade from 2010 to 2015. He was the Member of Parliament for Twickenham between 1997 2015, Deputy Leader of the Lib Dems 2007 to 2010, and Shadow Chancellor from 2003 to 2010. He was the leader of the Liberal Democrats from 2017 to 2019. Vince Cable read Natural Sciences and Economics at Cambridge University, where he was President of the Union, followed by undertaking a PhD at Glasgow University. Vince is currently a visiting professor at various universities, an author of several books, non-executive director of various companies, and was recently made Freeman of the City of London. Well, Sir Vince, thank you for being willing to join us on the longest day. Perhaps you might like to tell our listeners about your longest day
1: well there are quite a few candidates but um i think the one i would pick out was the day in 2015 in may when i lost my seat in parliament before i retrieved it a couple of years later Um, and i'd been in the cabinet for five years i'd been the local mp for almost 20 years very settled with a big majority Um, And then, you know, more or less overnight, that position was wiped out. I was defeated and I was out um, in my 70s, uh, having been rejected by the local population. Um, So it was a pretty grim situation.
0: And how did you get through that situation? I mean, obviously, it's not something that could be resolved overnight. So what did you do in that situation? Uh, well, I
1: think it it was partly that some of the people around me um, made it easier for, for me because I knew that there were people who cared and uh, I had a very tough but effective election agent, uh, now in the House of Lords, who's a sort of lifelong friend who cushioned the whole thing. I had my three grown-up children around me and my wife, Um so I had that that, that that kind of cushioning, you know, personal. Um, my opponent in Twickenham, Tanya Matthias, was very gracious. I don't think she'd expected to win and was very kind to me and publicly generous. So all of those things made it a little less uh, traumatic than it could have been, Um But I think the the key turning point was having not slept all night. I went back to my wife's little farm in the New Forest and we went out in the sun on it was a May morning and sat down and, you know, thought about life and realised there were a lot of, you know, positive things that we we both wanted to do. Um, uh, And suddenly, you know, the world looked a lot better. You know, we had a plan for the future... Uh, we had something to build on. It, the world didn't look quite so awful. And the fact that so many of my colleagues had gone down with me meant there was a kind of certain amount of solidarity and defeat. So all of those things made it easier. And so I think by the lunch of the day after the election, I'd, I'd sort of turned a corner.
0: What was it that you learned about yourself after reflecting on going through that election process?
1: Um, well, I think the first is that I'd been rather complacent and perhaps a bit conceited. I'd sort of imagined that I was very secure here and everybody loved me, um, and then realised uh, well, that, that actually, when it came to the crunch, uh, you know, they, they were voting for the next government, not for me, um, and I couldn't rely on it. So I, I deceived myself as to mark the strength of my own position. So it was it was a humbling in that sense. And then actually I'd spent the previous three weeks charging around the country helping my friends when I should have been shoring up my position here. So I think the first thing was realizing that I'd been complacent and um, perhaps a bit arrogant in assuming that I was as strong as I was. So that was the first big lesson. And the the second was the importance of family and friends, Um, the, the, the worst position to be, I think, if you're exposed like that is not to have anybody to fall back on but if you do have people to fall back on that that makes things bearable um and I think the third thing is, is, which we realized when we're thinking about the future is, is having, just having a positive, optimistic view about life. You know, there are things you want to do. Um, it doesn't, it, you know, they could be public spirited. They could be selfish. They could just enjoying life. But, you know, there are lots of good things in the world and it doesn't require a great deal of imagination to have a forward plan that, that that's good.
0: Politics is inherently mission-driven and one's desire to get elected is usually accompanied by a desire to Im- impact society or bring about change. What do you think the impact of failing to get elected was on your later leadership when you were subsequently re-elected?
1: Uh, Well, I would question how much of politics is mission-driven. A lot of it's, of course, ego-driven by the people involved. Um, No, I I think the fact that I had lost and then unexpectedly won again and found myself as a party leader... um, I mean, you have that immense sense of relief that you've been reprieved and vindicated... And so you're then quite much more relaxed and confident uh, about the next step in life, which may well be very difficult. But um, having gone through that experience and emerged from it makes you a lot stronger than you were before. Are you feeling stuck? Has conflict got you down? Have you considered Mediation? Mediation is a confidential and flexible way to resolve conflicts. 86% of all mediations end in a solution, saving time, money, and stress for all involved. Thanet Mediation Centre, a Broadstairs consulting initiative, offers mediation services to individuals and organisations in Thanet, Kent, and further afield. For more information or advice, email us at info at BroadstairsConsulting.com, we are here to help you move forwards
0: what advice would you give to somebody who has repeatedly stood for a position in in parliament and been unsuccessful
1: well uh, you know in my case i got in at the fifth attempt 30 years after i first tried so i think i'm an extreme illustration of the progression you described um I think, in general, um, I would recommend patience and persistence and not giving up. But uh, I wouldn't want. Uh, there are far too many people in politics and public life generally who have kind of wrecked their families uh, or messed themselves up personally by not accepting reality. So I think you, you have to, first of all, start by recognise that that politics or maybe another public role is important but not transcendent you know there are other things that are more important and having your nearest and dearest around you your family or friends they're the people who really matter so you've got to get that sorted be clear about that first but if if, if you have then you know keep trying providing it's realistic i mean i think there are, there is a point in all careers, um, where you have to be hard-headed and take the view, well, look, this isn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. I've got to try something else. Um, And having the realism and courage to do that.
0: In addition to having the right people around you, how have you cultivated that patience?
1: Well, again, I I think it's been helped by... um, but in case, case my first wife, who you know was always willing to keep me going, uh, because the, it's so easy to say, "Okay, this is just too much trouble," or go off and do something else. So you do need that kind of reinforcement of what you're trying to do. Um, I, I don't think it's something you can think through. Actually, I think in my case, I was particularly ambitious or particularly. Determine a sort of character trait, um, that I've cultivated and developed. So I don't think it's something you can wish, but just to recognize that there are certain things, certain areas of life and politics is one, maybe the arts is another where things don't come easily. And, you know, you can easily miss out. Um, and you've, you've, you've just got sort to of wait your time.
0: What would you say to the leader? Who is primarily ego driven and trying to succeed?
1: Well, I think they're going to come to grief at some point. I mean, if they've got, unless they've got some anchoring in what it is they're trying to achieve, um, that they're, they're, they're ultimately going to fail. Um, because I, even, yeah, you know, I mean, all, all of us are ego driven to some extent. I mean, it's politics; it's performative. You know, you, you get a kick out of you know speaking to an audience chairing a committee or whatever it happens to be or you're, you're number one in the in the in the room you know we all have that drug somewhere that's keeping us going um but if that's all there is then you're completely ruthless um, and so i think if, if people find themselves in that position they've just got to sit themselves down and just ask you know what am i doing this for is it uh, and their friends have got to tell them, you know, that, that if, if, if they're just doing it for themselves and their ego, then they, they're in the wrong business. Uh, um, and, and of course you have the pathological extremes like Trump, you know, who exactly what happens if you get an ego driven personality emerging on top. And we've not, we're not at Johnson's probably another, you know, very narcissistic, um, no obvious belief system. And it does, in both cases, do terrible damage, you know.
0: And if I might be so bold, what would you say your anchor is? Um, well,
1: I, I, it, again, it sounds a bit sentimental, but, but um, I've, I've been fortunate in having two lovely women, one one late wife and my new wife, you know, and I've been, you know, for a lot of people make bad choices. I made good choices. I was lucky. And so I suppose at the end of the day, they they are actually the the, the anchor. My children, too, but perhaps in a more uh, distant way.
0: So, final question from me. If you had to live your longest day again, what food would you choose to help you get through it? Um, Well, I... I, th- I
1: think bananas are my staple uh, staple diet, actually. I, th- there was a period when I was a student, and I traveled around India on my own, and I, I was rather worried about going down with dysentery and all these things that people get. Um, and so I lived off bananas and masala tea. That was my diet for about a month or something, and I survived without, without anything happening. And ever since then, I always have a banana at breakfast, uh, even when I'm going out to the gym. I have, You know, banana. So, so that. But but if I'm allowed a bit more time to have a, have a a good meal, I, I think I would choose a good South Indian vegetarian uh, masala dosa or something. That's my sort of favourite favourite food
0: I love that and not at all what I was expecting from a Yorkshireman Right. well
1: no I I, I, yeah fish and chips and uh, Yorkshire pudding yeah I can deal with that but
0: well thank you so much for sharing your experiences and thank you for being so candid and it's been a real joy to have you on the longest day thank you You've been listening to a Broadstairs Consulting Limited podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Tune in soon to hear the next instalment of The Longest Day. Copyright 2023. Production copyright. Broadstairs Consulting Limited. All rights reserved.